gang tag graffiti in our apartment building was the writing on the wall needed for my parents to uproot us from New York City back in the early 90s. The onslaught of gang violence in the schools was matched by the rise in teen pregnancies. Drugs were dealt openly on the streets. It was a certainty. We'd end up on the wrong side of the law as lines were drawn and territories were claimed through violence and intimidation. My parents didn't have a ton of money. My dad was a handyman for an office building. My mom worked for a supermarket. They managed to save the funds needed to buy a miserable excuse for a house in the suburbs of New Jersey. It was leaps and bounds better than living in a one-bedroom apartment in a war zone. Their timing on the house was excellent, as the closing lined up with the end of the school year. We had ended up moving into the house over the summer and started school in a new district in the fall. Everything was going right in life as we coasted through until the last day of school, the day my sister died. After the bell rang, I walked into the schoolyard to meet my sister. She had waited for me to walk home together. Usually, my mother came to get us, but she was working. As I exited the building, I heard a bunch of yelling, then gunshots. I didn't realize what happened, and I froze in place. I remember watching people fall to the ground running for their lives and screaming. Then all of a sudden I felt arms wrap around me. They brought me to the ground. Everything went dark until it stopped. The only sound I heard were now the police sirens in the distance, scattered voices calling out their friends or siblings, and the moans of those injured in the fight. I didn't know how long I laid beneath my sister's corpse. Someone pulled her off of me. I think it was a cop or a paramedic. I don't know for certain. My memory is hazy here. All I can recall is seeing my sister lying on the ground with her eyes wide open, unmoving, unbreathing. A stray bullet had struck her and killed her. A shot meant for me. We buried my sister at a cemetery near our new home so we could visit her without ever having to return to that city again. And we never did. There wasn't any excitement over moving into our new home. It felt empty and wrong to be there without her. Her bedroom sat empty, never to be filled. We all mourned for her the rest of our lives, especially me. For the rest of my life, I have had nightmares about that same day. At the sounds of the fireworks going off, I'd be back in that moment and have panic attacks. I blamed myself for her death, even if everyone told me it wasn't my fault. If it hadn't been for me, she would be alive. I often contemplated suicide, but never went through with it because I didn't want my parents to endure the death of another child. I did cut myself though. I went on antidepressants, went to therapy, and the whole nine yards to try to get help, but nothing ever made me feel right. They told me it was post-traumatic stress, survivor's guilt. I carried this burden around for decades until I visited Yellowstone National Park. At the suggestion of one of my therapists, I took up hiking as a hobby to get myself out of the house, physically active, and to gain a new perspective on the world around me. It was after a business trip to California that I decided to take time off to check out Yellowstone. On previous trips, I'd been to Yosemite, so I wanted to check out something different this time. My heart was set on checking the thoroughfare and South Boundary Trail. 
My heart was set on checking out the thoroughfare and south boundary trail, but I could not find anyone willing to come with me. I decided to take the trip solo, since I would likely not be able to get out to Yellowstone again for a long while. The first few days were uneventful. I followed the trail, took pictures, and made camp when the sun started to set. The next day, I'd wake up with the sunrise and continue my journey onward. Let me tell you, the earth is magnificent when humans aren't around to mess everything up. The streams and rivers flowed with water so clear you could see to the bottom. Mountains loomed in the distance, towering over forests. It makes a person understand how insignificant they are in the world. It felt like trespassing into the Garden of Eden. After a long day, I reached Mariposa Lake and called it a day. Setting up camp did not take too long. Dinner went without a hitch. Exhausted, I settled into the tent for the night, set the alarm for sunrise, and allowed my exhaustion to carry me off into sleep. Honestly, I don't know how long I slept before I woke up to what sounded like a voice speaking outside of my tent. It sounded close, yet I could not make out any of the words. It startled me awake as it was something completely unexpected. Seeing other hikers along the way wasn't something rare, but to have someone approach my camp in the middle of the night did not leave me feeling good. It was the middle of September. The temperature was close to 30 degrees that night. For someone to travel in the near complete darkness of such cold and darkness, they must have either been in trouble or looking to cause trouble. A folding shovel was the closest thing I had to a weapon. Rooting around the inside of my tent, I tried to find where I'd left it. I did not dare turn on the light as I did not want the intruder to know I was awake. I realized it didn't make sense right away. If someone wanted to hurt me, they wouldn't have announced themselves to keep the element a surprise. As soon as this realization hit me, I felt the cold bite of carbon steel and wrapped my hand around the handle. The voice spoke up again. This time it was closer, only a few feet outside the tent. Prepared to greet or fight my new companion, I unzipped the flap and quickly looked outside. A thick, roiling fog enveloped my campsite. Visibility close to nothing as it seemed to swallow reality like a floating gray ocean of mist. The silence around did not help matters either. I did not hear any footsteps or the crunching of grass or soil. All I heard was the sound of my heart beating in my ears and the quickening of my breath. Again, I heard the voice speak out from just beyond the fog. As it spoke, sparks of blue electricity flashed through the fog. It became clearer. It was a woman's voice. It sounded familiar, but I couldn't quite place it. I called out into the fog, telling the person to follow my voice to my campsite. I got no response. I called out again, asking if anyone was injured. This time, the voice replied as if it were right beyond the edge of the fog, still obscured, yet close enough to be heard. The voice was clear this time. It requested I meet just beyond the fog. As it told me to come, the blue electrical spark spread open, a path through the mist. I did not move. My mind went back to my childhood. I saw my sister's face. I heard her voice in my mind telling me that I was annoying her. It was my sister's voice. Of course, that didn't make sense. She died decades ago. I was dreaming. I had to be. But I just knew I wasn't. 
I yanked my boots on, charged out of my tent into the fog, and I called out my sister's name, feeling insanely stupid to think it was really her out here. Maybe it was a woman who had a voice very oddly similar. This self-doubt dematerialized as I heard her voice again further up ahead. She called my name over and over again, desperately. With each word, the blue lightning flashed and the fog cleared. I broke out into a sprint. Memories of the shooting flooded my mind. I was a child standing there in the schoolyard watching helplessly as the gun battle broke out. At this point, I'm fighting against my instinct to freeze in place again. My sister's voice ringing in my ears, calling out my name, telling me to get down. It's what I heard in the fog. Her voice calling out my name once again. I hit the edge of Mariposa Lake. The fog cleared up and a dozen yards up the shore I saw a man standing on a rowboat. His gaze bore into me. His will demanded I present myself before him. Its sheer strength and dominance pushed me forward. I felt outside myself, watching the scene unfold without control. My mind and body bent to this man's determination. My sister's voice spoke from the lake saying soothing words and reassuring me that all would be okay. Approaching the man sitting on the boat, I feel as if he is looking down upon me. It is now I realized he was not a man at all. He is something in the shape of a man. This conventional form hid the truth of his supremacy. The man doesn't move his lips to speak. His thoughts came directly into my mind. He had knowledge of the universe and all creation. He knew my entire life from start and to finish. He showed me the end. At least, one way it was supposed to end. It was meant for me to die in that schoolyard. My sister trips over another student's book and falls to the ground. She doesn't make it to where I'm standing. She watches the bullet hit me in the chest, and my tiny body falls backward onto the pavement. Dead. The world goes dark. Life ends. Life continues. Back at Mariposa Lake, the man waved me over toward the boat. I joined him aboard. He stands and pushes off the shore with his paddle. There is no splash when the boat enters the water. Hundreds of hands reach out from the depths of the lake. Their skins are pale white, their fingers pruned and waterlogged, reminding me of coiled maggots. They're holding the boat above the water and passing it along like a crowd surfer at a concert. More and more hands reaching out ahead of us carrying us forward to the middle of the lake. When we reached our destination, the hands stopped moving us and rested beneath the boat, holding it in place. The man removed the paddle from the water, then retook his seat. To our right, the water churned violently as the hands swam in a circle, creating a whirlpool. Within this maelstrom, I saw bodies, hundreds, thousands, perhaps millions of bodies, swirled downward into the lake. Their faces were placid and serene, like babies sleeping in their mother's womb. It made me jealous. I wanted to join them in their eternal soggy slumber. I set my foot on the side of the boat. With a single push, I joined those gentle souls underneath and carried the man's boat forever. Just as I had made up my mind, the man reached out with a skeletal hand and dragged me back to my seat. He let me know this was not the purpose for which he was bringing me to this place. My sister's voice then called out from inside the whirlpool. At first I saw the little girl who saved my life standing before me upon a platform 
made of waterlogged and bloated corpses. Then within a blink of an eye, I saw a teenage girl, then a young woman, a middle-aged woman, and finally, an elderly senior. She was all of these and none of these. She did not live. This is all that could have been and never was. My sister's voice pulled me from my thoughts and set me at ease. Her incorporeal form glowed in electric blue, as did the water and the fog surrounding the lake. It was beautiful and hideous. Our conversation did not last long. It was not something that was supposed to happen. In the grand scheme of the universe, there is a firm line between the world of the living and the dead. For her to return to this plane of existence, only to speak so briefly, was a gift from the cosmos. Or perhaps I had lost my mind after all these years of medication, therapy, and living with the pain of guilt. Once again, she took care of me when it mattered the most. She told me her death was not my fault. The guilt, the shame, the regret I felt throughout my life was misplaced. Her decision to shield me from the bullet was a sacrifice she would make over and over again. It was the best decision of her short life. She now rested with those beneath the waves in peace. With those final words, all the versions of my sister which never existed gave me a smiling goodbye before the platform of corpses descended back into the whirlpool. The maelstrom collapsed and the lake returned to its normal state once more. My sister was gone again, this time for good. The man stood from his seat and once more the hands reached out to carry us back to shore. Once again on Terraforma, the man told me to go straight back to my camp or else I'd be lost in the fog forever. He also tells me to leave Yellowstone the way I'd come in. I departed from the shore and dared not look back at the man or Mariposa Lake. The fog no longer crackled with electricity, blue or otherwise. The alarm rang right as the sun rose. I felt tired, emotionally drained, and bewildered about the previous night. I did not remember falling asleep. How could anyone sleep after that? My mind was racing. My adrenaline was pumping. When did I fall asleep? When I came out of the tent, the fog had vanished. The wilderness surrounded me again. There wasn't a single cloud in the sky. Still, I heeded the man's warning and packed up my encampment. I headed back down in the direction from where I had left. The nice weather did not last long as rain showers doused the landscape. The freezing cold rain soaked me from head to toe. Visibility was downright awful. Even with the proper gear, it still wasn't easy. I wanted to camp a few times to wait out the rains, but I felt the man's warning to leave Yellowstone meant sooner rather than later. My rental car was the only vehicle in the parking lot when I arrived back to civilization. I tossed my belongings in the trunk and immediately headed for the airport. I have not returned to Yellowstone National Park since. I think I've gotten the most out of that place as I can. I never told anyone this happened to me. I didn't want them to think I was taking drugs or losing my mind. There's enough stigma against people with mental health issues. Plus, that message was solely for me. I've not hiked anywhere since then, but I'm dying to get out there again and see more of the world. There are a lot of other places to explore, enjoy, and experience. You never know how much time you have left in this world before it's your turn to fall in with those beneath the waters. Something is wrong with the Yellowstone National Park.
Thanks for listening to this creepy story from Yellowstone National Park. Much thanks to HG Gravy for writing this one. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please be sure to hit that like button. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the channel. If you're new to the channel, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode, as I upload them nearly every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, please be sure to give this a 5-star rating as that helps us a ton over there. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, whether it's from a national park or something different, please be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Story episodes wherever you are, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out the merch store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Be sure to join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.